appreciate that. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians, and if you need a Bible, there's a blue one in a chair near you. <laughs> it's yours. You can have it if you need a Bible. Well, we're in 2 Corinthians, and we've been here for a few weeks now. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and this church had some issues. By the way, I still haven't found a church that doesn't have issues. Anybody find a church that doesn't have issues? <laughs> yeah. Which is why forgiveness is so important if we want to glorify God. Amen? Yeah, the title this morning, Forgiving One Another. I put on uh, my social media, on our page there, you know, if, you're, if you have a grudge against someone, if you're feeling bitter, uh, you need this message. Hopefully... I caught a few people and they're tuning in. So if you are, hi, welcome. <laughs> Stick around. It's going to be a great message. I'm excited. So this Corinthian church, uh, just so you know, they had a brother that had a brother in Christ. We say that was was uh, in a sinful lifestyle, and he was seeking forgiveness after he had been confronted. And we're going to just jump right in. We're going to go verse by verse here, and we're going to look at the scenario and see what we can um, uh, grow from. So, uh, if anyone has caused pain, this is verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. If anyone has caused pain, Paul writes to the church, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. So we'll leave that up on the screen, I think, um, just so people can see it. The pain is probably a sin that was done um, by a brother. We saw uh, this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where a man was sleeping with his father's wife, presumably his stepmother. But it was a, you know, it was a, a, a terrible, sexually uh, immoral um, behavior sin, and he was an active member in the church. Active member in the church, and for a while the church was just, Letting it happen. They weren't confronting this man about his sinful lifestyle. Now, when that stuff happens, you know, word gets out. In Corinth, they had been stained by this sin. Everyone knew about it. Paul was saying, listen, I'm not as embarrassed as you are about this. I know you're embarrassed by this. This is, this is like not a good thing. Imagine if you tried to invite someone to come to Life of Purpose Church. You know, you're talking to your neighbor or something like that, and you're talking to somebody in the city, and you're like, hey, come to Life of Purpose Church, great church. And they're like, wait a minute, is that that church where that guy's sleeping with his father's wife? <laughs> pass. Hard pass. All right? I'm not going. You know, that's hard, right, for a, whole, for a church. So that's what they were experiencing. That's why Paul says that. Now in verse 6, Paul says, for such a one, for this one, the punishment by the majority is enough. Now we see what happened here is that Punishment was a result of them doing what they should have done in the first place, which is church discipline, as we call it, um, as Jesus instructed in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, which I won't bring up on the screen, but I'm just going to give it to you quite simply. It's a three-step process, and we can use this in, in all of our relationships. Uh, but Jesus says this. This is how you deal with people who uh, sin against you, who offend you. Um, if your brother sins against you, he says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't gossip. Don't spread rumors. Don't bash this person. Just go to them. If they listen, if they repent, seek forgiveness, you've gained your brother. Problem solved. Beautiful, right? First step. 
Second step, if that doesn't work, if he doesn't listen, take one or two other people along with you so every charge can be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So let's not this be, you know, he said, she said, 1v1 kind of a thing. Let it be like, these are witnesses, they agree, this is what you've done, repent. But if he refuses to listen, in step two, to two or three witnesses, then tell it to the whole church. Tell it to the assembly. And if he doesn't listen to the whole church, then it says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And what that means, so you know the terminology here, okay, don't think that the IRS is a bunch of sinners, okay? They collect taxes, I get that, but you picking that up a little bit? No? Okay. He's referring to, Jesus is, is those that are outside the church. A clear line defining those in the church, meaning members of the body of Christ, born-again Christians, have the Holy Spirit in them, versus those that don't. And notice what Jesus is teaching here when it comes to church discipline, as we call it. It's not about discipline. It's about restoration. Don't miss that. It's about restoring the brother. You confront them so they repent and are restored to the body of Christ. You don't want to just push them away and send them away. You want them to be restored. And by the way, I have to add this. This is just a bonus for you this morning. Jesus ends this teaching in Matthew chapter 18 with a verse that Christians often take out of context. Ready for this one? Uh, I've, I've heard Christians apply this just about everywhere but from, except for where it should be applied, which is in this uh, verse or this passage here. So Christians don't miss this. It's uh, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's what Jesus said. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. But I often hear Christians say, you know, if there's two or three of us here, then Jesus is with us. You know, Jesus agrees with us with our plans if there's two or three of us agreeing. That's not the context. So please, saints, use it in the context. If two or more are gathered in my name to confront a brother or sister and to discipline, to restore, then I'm with you in that decision. Are you tracking me? All right, sweet. So this brother in the Lord was confronted by the church. Verse 7, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, Paul says, to reaffirm your love for him. This brother got, got confronted by the church, recognized his sin, confessed it, asked for forgiveness, and, he, and, and, and Paul is saying, listen, love this brother. He's broken. He's pleading for mercy. Truly forgive him. Now, a legalistic church would send this brother away. And I talk to church leaders all the time, pastors and ministry leaders, and I hear this happening a lot. And I, and I kind of you know, get it on the surface. It's like, okay, this person has sinned in the church and we don't want a bad reputation, so let's get this person out, away from us. Fire them, gone, go away. Cancel culture, that's what we live in right now, right? 
church is not going against that, going right with the grain of the world. Let's get this person out of here. That's what a legalistic church would do. Now, a liberal church, on the other hand, well, they wouldn't even have confronted them in the first place, so they wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> but I don't want to be either of those. I don't think you want to be long to a church that is like either of those. You want to be a loving church, right? That comforts this brother that's seeking forgiveness. After all, it's kind of how Paul began the letter. I mean, I've been uh, seeing this. Um, it's interesting when you, when you uh, uh, focus in and dial in on, on a book in the Bible like we are, like 2 Corinthians. It's kind of like when you get a new car and if you get a, a, whatever brand of car you get, whatever model it is, you all of a sudden notice, wow, look at them all. They're all over the place. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I've, I've sort of noticed now that 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 are sort of the staple verses when it comes to comforting. You know, if you need comfort, um, people always, often refer to these two verses. Maybe you want to highlight them in your Bible. I like to mark certain Bible verses for certain reasons. This is the comforting Bible verse. You need comfort. It says in uh, going back, we've, we've covered this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so we can comfort those who are in any affliction with any kind of comfort, with that which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we comfort one another as God comforts us, and that's important. The church, yes, must guard against sin, but it must also comfort those that repent, not holding a grudge, not being bitter, not ready to throw it in their face later, right? We don't want to do that. And I firmly believe this. If we forgive one another, like Jesus is teaching us here, like the Bible is teaching us here, if we do this well, not just in the church, if you do this well in your families, because I know you've been offended by your family members. If you do this well in your workplace, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, we will change people's lives. It's a game changer, folks. We may be the only Bible some people ever read. Think about that. Let that sink in. How we respond. Will they read forgiveness when they look at your life? And that's what we want to do. I read in the Bible, I looked it up in the, in the concordance, how many times the word forgive is used in the Bible. I just type in forgive, I have a, um, an app that I love called Olive Tree, and it, it um, shows me, it's a built-in concordance, so I, I type in the word forgive, press enter, and boom, 54 times it's in the Bible, all the verses. So I read them all, and I noticed something interesting about it. When we translate a word into English, because the Bible was written in different language, it was written in Hebrew, the Old Testament, written in Greek, in the New Testament. In Greek, in the New Testament, there's two words that are often translated forgive. And they both have similar meanings, but a little different. And it's important for us, I think it's interesting that we see it. The first Greek word is charizomai. Charizomai comes from the word charis, which is for grace. That means grace. And the other word is aphemai. So let me give you the definitions. Charizomai means to grant favor, to give grace, to restore. Where aphemai simply means to send away, 
to let go of. And I think it's important for this reason. If someone sins against you, if someone hurts you, offends you, and they sincerely repent, it means they turn away. That's what repent means, to turn away. They seek forgiveness from you. They need to know that their sin has not just gone away, aphemai. They also need to know that you restore them and give them grace, charizomai. They need both. They need cancellation and comfort. And the best example of this that I found in the Bible is in Luke 7. I want you to read it for yourself a little later. It's in, in Luke chapter 7. But it's, you probably read it and, and, and it'll come to, you'll remember when I say it. There's a sinful woman who comes to where Jesus is. He's at a dinner. And, and Jesus is sitting there with some, really, some religious elite people. And uh, they think they're you know, better than everybody else. And this sinful woman, she's, from the context you can tell, she's in a sinful lifestyle. Maybe she was a prostitute or whatever, we don't know. But she comes to this dinner, um, and she sits at Jesus' feet, and she anoints his feet with this perfume, expensive perfume, and her tears. And she's literally weeping at the feet of Jesus because she's been sinning for so long and living this terrible lifestyle, and she's seeking forgiveness And Jesus forgives her sin. But he doesn't just say, all right, enough. You're good. Go away. Leave my feet alone. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He says, I forgive you and I save you. Now go live in peace. Oh man, that's beautiful, isn't it? Because that's both. That's a femi and charismai. He not only sends her sin away, but he loves her and he restores her and he gives her grace. Gosh, we got to do that, don't we? We got to do that. That's the kind of of forgiveness that the Bible teaches us to do. Let's go to verses 9, 10, and 11. For this is why I wrote, Paul said, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And this is the important verse that I want you to see here today. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So in verse 9 and 10, Paul is mirroring the words of Jesus, by the way. He's saying, listen, if two or more are gathered and you forgive this brother, then I forgive him also. I'm with you on that. But in verse 11, we see why it's so critical, absolutely critical, that we forgive one another. Because if you don't, then you are being outwitted by Satan. You are actually following his plans. And we cannot be ignorant of those plans. When you don't forgive one another, you're actually following the devil's plan for your life. Let it sink in. It's deep but it's truth. Jesus points out his plan versus Satan's plan in one verse in the Bible, John 10.10. Jesus says this, my plan and the devil's plan are diametrically opposed. He says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now don't get the wrong understanding of the abundant life. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel like many do. 
The abundant life is over and above any other life you could manage on your own. That's what Jesus meant by the abundant life. It's over and above anything you can do on your own. And Jesus says, I can give you this life, but the devil will give you the exact opposite. Satan is like a drug dealer. He offers you worldly things, things that at first feel good, but in the end destroy you. He's like a con man who can play the long game and eventually steal your joy. That's the, that's the devil's plan. That's the Satan's plan. But there is something that Satan cannot touch, and that's your spirit. We learn this from the life of Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, you see it. But we also see it, which is very interesting, in this man in 1 Corinthians that was sleeping with his father's wife. We see that his spirit cannot be affected. Look at uh, what it says. Um, well, I'll just tell you what it says. Maybe I did put the verse up there, verse 5, I don't remember. But Paul told them that when you're gathered together as the body of Christ, when you're in one accord and you discipline this brother, this is what he says in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 5. You deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now that's a hard verse. Anybody, be honest, ever read that and be like, okay, I just don't get that. I mean, just let, let's be honest. There's a lot of verses out there that's like, what? I don't get that. So you deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, Pastor Matt, I'd love it if you'd explain this to me. It's been bothering me for years. Today's your blessed day. <laughs> We don't believe in luck, we believe in the Lord blessing. So here it is. What does it mean? Well, this is harsh, right? Like, oh my gosh, like Christian handing over to Satan, what that's like, what is that all about? Well, remember what Paul, uh, what Jesus said when he was teaching about church discipline. He said, if he li- doesn't listen to the church, if he refuses to listen to the church, then put him outside the church. Treat him as a Gentile and a tax collector. Because here's the reality, again, there's no fence sitting. There's no fence sitting. You're either in the body of Christ or you're out of the body of Christ. If you think you're sitting on the fence, and there's lots of people that think they're sitting on the fence. They're like, you know, I'm kind of dabbling a little bit, I'm seeking, you know, I'm kind of going to some churches, checking things. The devil owns the fence. Get off the fence. The devil owns it. You can't sit on the fence. You're either in or you're out. In the body of Christ or you're out of, body, out of the body of Christ. So, to deliver someone to Satan means that you are saying to them, you're out of the body of Christ. You're not a real Christian. The Holy Spirit is not in you. Now, of course, we know that we can't prove that. I understand that. But if you treat them as if they are not a real, genuine Christian, a couple things are going to happen here. You're putting them out of the body of Christ. A couple things are going to happen here. They will repent if the Spirit is in them because the Holy Spirit convicts us. It's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit dwelling in a real Christian. Jesus gave, he says, you'll be born again. You'll have the Spirit. When the Spirit is in you and you're living in sin, you get convicted. Amen? Yeah, and you, and you want to stop. You want to turn away from that. I'm not saying it's easy to turn away, and you might do it a bunch of times. But you don't like it, is the point, because the Spirit is convicting you. 
So if you're actually a born-again uh, Christian, and maybe you're just not willing to repent, or maybe it's just, there's just a lot of, it's complicated, right? Um, eventually, what's going to happen is, is if you're out and you're just living that lifestyle, the world, the prince of this world is who? Devil, uh, the, the, the scripture tells us that the devil is the prince of this world. Satan is the prince of this world. That means to be delivered over to him is basically to say, yeah, go ahead, live your lifestyle and see where you end up, brother. See what happens to your life, because eventually it's going to fall apart. And if you hit rock bottom, you're in the pig pen like the prodigal son, and the Holy Spirit reminds you what to do. What did the prodigal son do when he was in the pig pen at rock bottom? He remembered his father's house. And he returned to his father seeking forgiveness. And that's exactly what this is all about here in this verse. To be outside, to deliver this man to Satan is saying, listen, put him out in the world, see, see where, where it gets him, and, and pray that this man repents and returns. And that if the Spirit's in him, he will do that. And he will be prepared for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the judgment day. The day when we're all judged. And that's what this teaching is all about. Let's go back to verse 11 and Satan's designs, his plans. Satan loves it when you don't forgive one another. He loves it when you stay bitter and you hold a grudge. So if you're doing that, you're playing right into his hands. You're following his plan. And I don't want you to follow his plan. I want you to follow Jesus. Jesus says you should forgive one another. I'm going to give you many of these, uh, uh, several verses where Jesus teaches on forgiveness. It's in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to sing about at the end here um, in a new song. The Lord's Prayer, many of you know it, our Father who art in heaven, and it goes on, and then verse 12 it says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus says in Luke 17, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Mark 11. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. That's what Jesus said about forgiveness. Paul understood this teaching. He went on to say to Ephesians, to, in the, uh, to the Ephesus uh, church, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, church, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And to the Colossians, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Take all of those verses, and we glean two truths, two very important truths about forgiveness. If God forgives you of every sin, then you should forgive one another of every sin. If God forgives you of every single sin you've ever done and will ever do, then you should forgive one another of every sin. 
And secondly, if God's forgiveness is unlimited, which is what we see here in Scripture, then you can't put a limit on yours. You can't. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Keep on forgiving. No grudges, no bitterness, no holding back. That's following Jesus. And here's the beauty of this. If you forgive one another, like Jesus teaches, like the Bible teaches, then you are actually being a witness. And isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? To go and make disciples? To be witnesses? How do we witness to a non-believer? We do it when, we, when they see God's mercy in us. When they see you being merciful, when you forgive one another. And honestly, it may just be that person that offended you. By simply offering forgiveness, mercy. What's mercy? Something you don't deserve. Right? So it's, it's I should say, it's not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. Not getting what you deserve. And you forgive them? That may save them. Their eyes, that might be the Bible they read. They may see that. The person who sinned against you deserves punishment. I get it. I understand that. But that's where mercy comes in. Not giving them what they deserve. I mean, I know what I deserve. I've fallen short of God's glory. If you've fallen short like I have, you know how sweet, how wonderful God's mercy is in your life. Amen? I mean, James 2.13 tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. I would much rather have mercy than judgment, wouldn't you? Yeah. So let's show mercy to other people. Let's forgive one another, because that's a powerful witness in the name of Jesus. If you want to be a witness for Christ, it's not always about sharing the gospel. Sometimes it's showing mercy, which leads to the gospel. I want to take the rest of the time and just run through a few scenarios um, hypothetical situations. In no way have I bugged your house. I've not been listening to your phone conversations. Okay, If these resemble your situation, it's just what I call the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he comforts, but he convicts. So, here we go. Scenario one, a husband and wife are fighting again. It's not the seventh time. It's not the seven times, seventieth time. It's beyond that. They both say and do things that are quite offensive. And they both need to repent and seek forgiveness from God and from one another. So one spouse initiates by apologizing. I shouldn't have said those things, honey. It was awful. I shouldn't have broke your fishing rod again. I shouldn't have thrown the coffee mug at you. I'm just making this up. But upon hearing the confession, the other spouse says, I forgive you and walks away. No apology whatsoever. Just walks away. Where do you go from there? What do you do when you apologize, you seek forgiveness, but they don't? And both parties are wrong. Scenario two. Two friends, best of friends, have a falling out. The reason being, they both like the same guy. One began to date that guy, but then the other got jealous, swooped in, and stole her man. The problem is, 
She won't admit it. She won't admit her guilt. She isn't seeking forgiveness. She's just totally justified in her mind. When do you turn the other cheek, as Jesus said to do, and when do you confront, like Jesus also said to do? Difficult situations. Difficult scenario. Third scenario. A tragedy occurs. A person's life is taken by a sinful act. And the surviving family members and friends are crushed. The sinner is broken by the sin, and they seek forgiveness because of what they've done. How do you forgive them? How do you forgive and forget? Difficult, tough scenarios, tough situations. Again, if it hits home, it's not intentional, I made them up. Maybe watching The Young and Restless in college is actually paying off for once. But these aren't just soap operas. These are things that happen in, in our lives. These are real things that happen. So how do we apply this message to those types of scenarios? How do we do what Jesus did? How do you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you? How do you do it without limits? How do you overcome your hurt and your pain? How do you send away their sin but also give them grace and comfort too? How do you remember their sin no more? Well, life is not a sitcom, folks, and I can't wrap this up in 30 minutes. This isn't Little House on the Prairie, and this isn't Full House. Life is complicated. Life is messy. And the truth is, is if you've been hurt deeply, then you know healing comes slowly. It's going to take time. And you probably need a wise counselor. You probably need a small group where it's safe to open up and be vulnerable. Healing is possible, but it's going to take work because the devil doesn't want you to forgive and he's going to fight back. And your flesh, okay, that's going to want to take revenge because that seems to be our natural response to when somebody hurts us. We want to fight back. So you're going to have to hold back. And that takes work. Taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ takes work. Forgiving one another isn't easy, otherwise everybody would do it, and we'd live like a Disney movie happily ever after. But it's not like that. So here's what we know is true. God forgave you. He's calling you to do the same to others. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, if, as God in Christ forgave you. And God never stops forgiving you, so you should never stop forgiving others. But if you're holding a grudge right now, if you're bitter towards someone else, and if you don't want to be that way anymore, then let's get some help. Let's work through this together, because this needs to be a hospital church where hurting people become healed people. We're not here to just gather on Sunday and, and, and get you fired up and get you excited and then send you out without real help. And I'm telling you, it takes work. It takes time. So here's my altar call. My altar call for you today is really not even to come forward, but if you want help, if you want to forgive, you've been trying and it's just not working, you, you really think you need to because you just keep hitting this wall. It's like, I can't get over this. I'm, I can't get past this. And it's affecting the rest of my life. It's affecting my other relationships, and I really want to get over it. I need some help. You can do one of two things. 
You can fill out a connection card, put your name on it, and on the back just write, I want to forgive, I need help though. I want to forgive, but I need help. Or, if you're a little more tech savvy, okay, you can text our church number, 586-381-4852, it's in your program. Just text our number from your number, put your name, and I want to forgive, but I need help. And I will personally respond to you, and I'll get the ball rolling, okay? It's a process, but I will, I will begin to help you take your next step to forgive. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today, and I thank you for how applicable it is in our lives. Lord, sometimes a message like this stirs up emotions, and um, we certainly need uh, help in all things. And Father, I pray that you will give us victory, um, that you will help us to forgive one another, because we don't want to hold a grudge, we don't want to be bitter, and we know that we're not supposed to be, because you have forgiven us of all things. You have given us mercy, 100%. Father, we need your help to do the same, to forgive one another so we can be a witness for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, his ultimate example, his life. Thank you for him, that we can follow him in all things. In Jesus' name. And the church said...